Starting and running a business is hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Whether you're an established business owner or thinking about starting a side hustle to earn extra income, I am here to teach you how to show up as your unfiltered self, level up your business, and thrive as a mompreneur. Let's embrace the chaos and start enjoying the journey together. I'm Amy Tra, and you're listening to the Motivated Mompreneur Podcast. Welcome back into the Motivated Mompreneur Podcast. Today, I am joined by Brittany Miller, and we are talking all things social media. And social media can be a little bit uh, overwhelming for us as entrepreneurs, but Brittany is here to demystify it and just make it work for us as a great business tool instead of against us. So with that being said, Brittany, welcome into the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Super excited to have you here as well. So can you share more about yourself, who you are, what you do, and who you serve? Sure. So hi, I'm Brittany. I'm a mom, a mystery buff, bookworm, a home decor DIY enthusiast, and I'm also the owner of Brittany Miller Socials. So I grew up dreaming of the day that I would become an entrepreneur, studied business in school, but ended up taking a safe job working at nine to five. And then I became a mom and the world changed with a pandemic. And I was thrown into entrepreneurship overnight due to a lack of childcare opportunities for me. So uh, I started with what I did best, which was social media, helping entrepreneurs grow their online presence. But I really quickly found that business owners needed more than just regular content. They needed support. So I offer a lot of consultations and coaching, and I really began helping women ignite their business growth and share their passion that started it all. So a year later, I've been able to support over 20 businesses, launch a podcast myself, start introducing DIY products and courses. Uh, to really help women go from dreamer to entrepreneur and entrepreneur to ambitious CEO. So I'm excited to chat about all that today. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. I love how so many of us as moms started our business during the pandemic because of that, because of the lack of childcare. My kids were in kindergarten and preschool at the time. And it wasn't until like I stopped moving through the box checking of life, moving on autopilot in this career that was no longer serving me that I realized like, wait a minute, like I can use like my superpowers to make money for myself. And that is the most rewarding part. And then for our kids too, like how awesome is it to be able to model that and to show them like, hey, it's okay. Like, yes, I have this degree doing one thing, but now I get to make the rules. Mm -hmm. It's very empowering. That's for sure. Absolutely. So let's dive in more to social media, which can be a beast of a thing. You know, so many business owners, I feel like when I'm talking (laughs) to them and you bring up social media, they're like, if I could offload one thing off of my schedule, it would be social media because it just seems to be overwhelming. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into, let's go into like the bio, even like clearly articulating in these like limited number of characters in the bio, like where do we even start when we're crafting our Instagram bio? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your Instagram bio is your digital business card, which I feel like a lot of people don't realize Oftentimes, I mean, business cards are kind of the way of the past for a lot of people, but it's the first impression that you make. And it's a way for people to get to know you as a business owner and know what to expect from you. So in my experience, there's five key questions that your bio needs to address. So it needs to address who you are. So the name of your business or yourself as an entrepreneur, it needs to talk about what you do. So the product or service that you offer. 
you need to figure out and mention who your target clients are. So if you have a specific niche or people that you enjoy working with the most, then that needs to be in there. So if the person reading your profile is one of those people, they can very quickly identify, hey, this is an account that I need to follow. Uh, you also need to include uh, a little bit about your competitive advantage. If you have it, what makes you different or sets you apart from your competitors? Because this is a very competitive online space. Um, and then the last thing it needs to include is a call to action. So if people really like what they see so far, what's the next step? Do they book a call? Is there a free resource that they can download? So it is a lot to fit in a bio, but you can make it work. That's where getting creative, like really, really helps and reaching out to someone like yourself, because yes. it can be so hard to really get clear on, okay, how do I communicate that in like this limited number of characters? But the cool thing is, is you can change your bio over and over and over, especially as you evolve as a business owner. It's not like we just create it once mm -hmm. and it's set in stone forever, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I probably changed mine over a dozen times in about a year and a half. And I actually encourage that for that reason, because so much changes. And as we go through our business, things evolve, but also we have different things that we need to promote and talk about. So that call to action specifically is likely going to change, right? Have a new free resource or a masterclass you're promoting or a course that you want to drive registrations for. That's where that information should go. Yes, definitely. What are some of the common mistakes that you're seeing that like make you cringe as somebody that specializes in social media? When you go to somebody's bio and you're like, oh gosh, I am not following this account. Spill your secrets. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, the biggest thing for me, and it probably should be in one of my top five questions is location. And this is really important for um, product and service-based businesses, especially if you have a brick and mortar, people are not going to do the legwork to go to your website and see if you've got it written on there where you're located. So if people can clearly identify whether or not you're in driving distance, you've automatically lost them as a customer. And even some digital service providers don't include that, but some of them maybe only want to work with people that are local. Maybe they can't offer services completely remotely. So even putting something simple with um, working uh, with businesses anywhere or uh, something like that would be helpful even for digital service providers. So that's something that's very often missed in bios, the location piece. Yeah, great advice. Now, isn't part of the bio like searchable? Aren't we supposed to incorporate like keywords into part of our bio? Yes, yes, you should. Uh, so a lot of people don't realize that the platform actually indexes your bio uh, and your caption content too. So they miss a lot of things like that. So that's why location is big because if people are searching for like hairstylists in St. Thomas, Ontario, which is where I'm from, obviously I'm not going to come up. I'm not a stylist, but if you have that location somewhere in your bio, then chances are you're going to come up in the search. And you also need to include things like hairstylist or a hair salon, hair care, something along those lines. You have to really think about your customer journey and where they're coming from, what words they might be searching for. So that goes for social media that works for website as well. Uh, similar practice. You need to know what those keywords are and try and incorporate them into your bio somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's so, so important and it's easy to do. You just have to you know, get a little creative with it. Now, something else that can be super overwhelming is like, okay, what do I post every single day? And that's where content calendars can be super helpful. So what's your take on like planning content ahead, mm -hmm. doing it day of, like, what's your take? Mm -hmm. So you definitely need to be planning your content the day of. 
or sorry, not the day of, uh, in advance, because if you try and do it the day of, you're going to fall into the trap of, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. And then you'll realize it's 10 o'clock at night, your head's on the pillow and you still have not done your social media posts for the day. And then you repeat that pattern a few times and it's been three weeks since you posted. So you need to have a solid plan in place. And in order to make that plan easier for you to fill out and not spend so much time working on, uh, I recommend two things. The first thing is that you need to have three to five content pillars. So that's three to five key things that you talk about on your profile at all times. One of those things will be sales. You are not in business if you do not generate money. And if you are not talking about what you sell or what service you provide, that's a problem. Uh, so you need to make sure that's in there. And then you should choose two other pillars to go with the sales pillar that are about you as your business, but that add value to your customers and your clients. So if you are a food-based business, maybe you're sharing recipes. Uh, if you are an accountant, maybe you're sharing tax tips. So you usually have an element either of entertaining, if you like to be really funny and relatable in that capacity, that's not my strong suit. Uh, so I typically educate instead. So I'll teach people how to create content and share social media tips and tricks on my profile. So those are kind of my content pillars that way. And I also share a little bit of relatable entrepreneurship, like what it's like to work and run a business while my children are running around the house, driving me crazy. Uh, <laughs> So those are my pillars that way. Yeah. So once you kind of know what three things you're going to be talking about on your content calendar, if you want to post three times a week, that's one post per pillar each week, and then you're pretty good to go. The other thing you can do, my other recommendation is creating a piece of long form content. So that's like a blog or a podcast or um, a vlog recipes, if you have them, but something longer that you're then going to chunk down and then share on social media. So for me, I'm a podcaster. So I'll take my podcast episode and I'll create seven posts from it quite easily. You do a bio of your guest, you do a couple of clips from the podcast you really liked, a quote, three takeaways, uh, and then a couple other randoms, recycle something from a past episode. And there's your content calendar for the full week. And that's not including anything that I'm already talking about on my page already for my relatable entrepreneurship. Uh, social media tips, just like that. So having a piece of long form content, even if you're not creating seven posts from it makes it easier because then you automatically have a few things to put on your content calendar each week without a lot of extra work because the blog or the podcast exists regardless. I absolutely love that because we tend to overcomplicate things. And as moms, like time is so valuable. Mm -hmm. So why are we constantly reinventing the wheel, right? So just taking something, if you have a blog, use the blog. Mm -hmm. If you have the podcast, use the podcast. Like use what you already have available to you because even if you're repeating yourself, you have to do that, right? On social media in order to get your point across, mm -hmm. you'll feel like you're you know, regurgitating the same information, but isn't organic reach like really super low, you know, based off of like, everything. If you have like a thousand followers, what in today's world, like what's organic reach right now? If you can get 3% of your audience to interact with your content, that's really good. So it's an unfortunate realization when you do the math of, okay, what's 3% of a thousand, but like, that's what you're aiming for. And in the world of marketing, they usually say that it takes seven to 10 interactions before someone's ready to make a purchase. So that means on social media, truthfully, it's longer, but that means that you need to sell the same service seven to 10 times before someone is ready to actually work with you, which a lot of people don't do. They're so afraid of being salesy that they mention it like 
once a quarter. And I was like, no, 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 no. We need to talk about this a lot more because you need to be generating money and like clients and leads and things like that from your social media. The other thing that people don't realize is you have to talk about it seven to 10 times, but people have very short attention spans because we're consuming so much content each day. So you can actually recycle posts that have performed really well. Anything that's three months or older, you can bring back to your social media. Maybe change the format of it if you want to, like if it was a static post, maybe make it a reel or a carousel post, but you can use the same or very similar content images or captions every few months because people won't remember. Maybe they didn't see it the first time, or maybe they really liked it and resonated with it, but they hadn't seen enough of your content yet to make that purchase. So bringing it back, they'll be like, oh yeah, this is why I'm really ready to work with Brittany. Yeah, that's such a great perspective. Now, do you use like a scheduling tool in order to, you know, you have your content calendar, you know what you're going to post, when you're going to post it, you probably went into Canva, made them look all pretty. Do you use like a third party app or are you going in there each day? How do you do things? Uh the answer to that a little bit is it depends. So I try and schedule as much in advance if I can. I try and use Meta. They play nicer algorithm-wise to their own schedulers, but using Later is a really great tool if you want to do that. It's a little bit more reliable. But a lot of times the video content that I post, and I post a lot of video content, I'll do the day of so that I can add trending audio, which you can't really do. Right, exactly. Too far in advance. Trends are going to change very, very quickly. Now, Something I want to kind of shift gears a little bit into is, all right, this happens where social media accounts get hacked, they get frozen, they get taken offline for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So where does email marketing play into this? And like, how can we safeguard ourselves from like that happening? Like, why do we need an email list? I'm interrupting this episode to share an incredible networking opportunity that happens every single Monday at 1230 Eastern Standard Time. Join us for Coffee Talk and meet and collaborate with other mompreneurs just like you. Networking has grown my business by leaps and bounds, and I would love to share this opportunity with you. All the details can be found in our show notes. Now back to the show. Mm -hmm. So email marketing is your safeguard. We unfortunately do not own social media platforms and we are at the mercy of the algorithm and what people do or don't do in terms of reporting our accounts. So if you have an email list, you own that. You can log in anytime. If you forget your password, you just reset it. No big deal. But you own your list. So if you ever get locked out of your social media accounts, your business will still run as usual because you have a way to communicate into people's inboxes directly. And actually emails have a higher open and engagement rate and sale rate than social media posts do because it is a more intimate relationship that you have with those people. Oh, so good. Yeah. It's scary when you think about it that way. Like we don't own all the content, all the hours of our lives that we're putting onto social media. We don't own that. Mm -hmm. That's why the email list is such a good safeguard. It's kind of like your backup plan, but Honestly, I've noticed the same thing. Like I have such a higher open rate. I have such a higher click-through rate and you can see exactly Mm -hmm. who's opening, who's actually seeing your content and who's interested in your content. You know, so for me, like I really tried to use social media as the like awareness piece to then nurture them, to get them on my email list. Mm -hmm. Do you do the same thing? Yes. And that's exactly how you should do it. So social media should be a way for you to connect with cold clients and then you transition them to warm 
clients or warm leads through a lead magnet. So that's something that you're giving for free in exchange for their email address to get them on the list. And then you nurture them from warm to hot leads with your preferably weekly emails that you send out to them. So that's kind of a way for you to build that relationship. On average for email marketing, because a lot of people ask, you know, how do I know if it's working well? If you can get a 20% open rate, that's industry standard. For myself and my clients, we usually see open rates between 40 and 50% because we've really dialed in on the value. People want to be receiving our content because we're helping teach them what to do in their business. Yeah. And for those of you that are like listening to this going, oh my gosh, now you're adding another thing on. No, like I find myself repurposing again from that long form content into my email list or taking some of those little nuggets that I've posted on social media and repurposing it into my email list. Because again, like, yeah, we're repeating ourselves, but we have to, just like you said, like we need to be relevant. We need to constantly be repeating over and over and over. Hey, this is what I do. And providing that value piece too. I love how you added that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like we don't just want to be emailing people every week going buy this, buy this, buy this. Like, yes, you should include calls to action for sales things in your emails, but it is a way to nurture that relationship. And to do that, you need to add value. Um, But you're right. Email does kind of fit into the long form content plan. So again, with my podcast, I create my podcast episode, I create my social media content, and then I share that in my email. So the weekly email that I usually send out is about my podcast. So I'm really doing kind of a deep explanation. You know, if you have these pain points, then you want to listen to this episode because my guest helps you work through these struggles that you're facing. Uh, So it's a very easy way for you to always have content to send in a weekly email when you have a blog or a podcast that you're creating content. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And one of the things you mentioned too is, you know, having a lead magnet in order to nurture those people and get them onto your email list. And Mm -hmm. I feel like recently the landscape has changed a little bit where, you know, a simple, you know, checklist may not be as effective as it once was. So what's your perspective Mm -hmm. on what are people really opting into these days? What kind of lead magnets are really beneficial? And should we be focusing our efforts into creating versus just, you know, quick thing we created on Canva. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're right. The standards for lead magnets have drastically increased in the last few years because everyone's aware that it is an effective marketing tool. So you again, have more competition. Um, You're right. Things like checklists do still work for your audience, but oftentimes like my highest opt-in rates are things like my free masterclasses that I run. So live trainings, the opportunity to work with you as an individual, that's the benefit uh, for your audience. They want in on that. They know that you're the expert. So that's really helpful. But I also caution entrepreneurs to be aware of where they're at in their business when they're deciding what kind of lead magnet to create. Like I'm a year and a half into my business for me to spend some time putting together masterclass content is feasible. A year ago, it wasn't. So you need to have something that is like a Canva downloadable checklist or resource or document guide that can maybe be a little bit more comprehensive, but that you create once you set it up and then it just automatically does its thing in the background. And then as your business grows and you have more capacity, then venture into something like a live masterclass or a a three to five day challenge or a quiz or a course or something like that, that you need more time and resources to create. Oh, such great advice. Brittany, these were amazing tips on just making social media 
work for you. And even the email marketing piece and just really kind of demystifying it. Where can we get into your world and how can we learn more about everything that you offer? Yeah. So I hang out mostly on Instagram at Brittany Miller socials, but I have the same handle on all social media platforms. Uh, you can also check out my podcast, go get great with Brittany Miller socials on Spotify or Apple podcasts. And I do have lead magnets set up. If you want to attend some of my live trainings, I run them um, once a month or every other. And I have some downloadable resources sharing, you know, further tips on how you can kind of choose content pillars that are the right fit for you. So you can find those on my website, BrittanyMillerSocials.ca. Oh my gosh, so good. Be sure to check her resources out, get into her world. She is truly an expert in what she does. Brittany, thank you so much for sharing so many just nuggets of wisdom and value with our listeners today. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I hope you guys have a great day. Oh my gosh, you too. And until next time, mamas, stop dreaming and start taking messy action. You've got this. Are you loving what you're hearing? Do us a favor and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. 